Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to our new podcast. It's called Producing Podcasts, and it's where I will talk to producers, journalists, technicians, musicians, and entrepreneurs who are creating podcasts around the world. The show is produced by Alibi Investigations, and we train journalists for free on how to produce their own investigative podcast series in their own language. And also, we produce a regular investigative podcast series called Alibi. Check out more at alibiinvestigations.com. Now, there is no better way that I can think of to start off this series than chatting to one of my oldest friends, who also happened to do the music for Alibi. His name is John Bartman. Cool. Can you can you hear me? I can hear you. It's a little bit soft. Oh, good. How's, how's me? A little bit soft. Yeah, you're perfect. Is that okay. better? Yeah, that's a bit better, yeah. And I kind of like the fact that my voice is slightly more powerful than yours at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> one, two, one, two. Cool. Good. Well, it's good to see you. Yeah, you too. Sorry about all that chaos. Let me just flip no, over this okay. guy. Okay, so let's go. Okay, 2016. 2016. We were working on the first season of Alibi. What were you doing in 2016? Where were you at? sort of professionally and personally and like all that sort of stuff. Where, what were you, where was your head at? 2016 was the last great reboot. Um, we actually went to Australia for a, <laughs> for a couple of months. Oh, yeah. Uh, Wendy and I went to yeah. Australia and ended up, uh, yeah, basically living in my uh, sister-in-law's family basement for a few months. And I, got, I managed to get some work done from there. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I guess that was the start of the idea that remote work could be a thing, which I'm now like, pursuing wholeheartedly and then professionally i just finished um with voice map i was uh, kind of still doing some stuff remotely for them um but yeah the gps audio app that i was working with it um was great it was like a good three years just explain that because i i always loved voice map what was your what was voice map again mm. voice map's amazing so the story is uh the founder cape tonian guy who had a uh, hookup with another South African who ran an incubator in Singapore and uh, pitched him in this idea of, you know, interesting GPS tours, not like boring museum tours and these bus tours. He actually worked for the Cape Town bus, uh, tourism bus uh, service, and he just found this, the tours very static. So the idea of starting to actually get locals, people who lived in the areas, to write these tours. And then basically at its heart, voice map is... Uh, GPS and audio together. So audio that only triggers or plays back on your app when you go to that location. And with that, the right. applications are, yeah, you do you can do museum tours and, uh, you know, very cool, like, walks through the city and that kind of thing. And I also did that um, that fictional tour through the forests here in Cape Town. Yes. That, um, yeah. Can you guess what this area once was? 
The answer is just up the path. When you're done, make your way onwards. Do you still get people finding that? Because we should put that in the show notes as well, actually. I love that. Yeah, sure. It's so sure. cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't really pay too much attention to it. I think about it when I go do those walks, but uh, it's not like, it's not something I'm really pushing, you know, it was kind of a layer yeah. of love and uh, I, I really enjoyed putting it together for sure. Yeah. And then at that time we were also doing, I, I was writing down some notes and I remember that um, I showed you the first draft of Alibi with my voiceover and you were like, you should just release it. There's no point polishing a turd. Was basically your uh, advice oh, yes, to a, me. <laughs> that's a music industry saying. That's a music industry saying. You can't if the if the band thinks they're amazing and then says, "Can you fix it in post?" The sound engineer often has to utter that phrase back to them. Like, no, just rather rather do a few more passes and get it right on the recording. Yeah, there. I think we re-recorded everything like so many times. I mean, it's been a long time. You can be very candid. Like, what did you? How did you find it? Hey man, it's not like it's not like I was super experienced back then either. You know, the, the idea of doing music uh, for audio, so audio storytelling, to me was just amazing. Um, I've learned a lot since then. <laughs> I realized that like yeah, a lot of the work that I did back then was wanting, but that's it. That's the process. You just throw your hat over the fence. Um, so I was just happy to be on board, bro. To be honest, it was just uh, it was quite an honor for me to like be able to tell tell people I'm scoring something. You know, I'm actually like. Uh, I was in, I was kind of involved in the helping with um, some of the flow and the whatever the production stuff, but in, but at, at the heart of it, I was like sitting down, going right, okay, we've got a few cues to come up with, and uh, it was it felt like the first steps on the the journey to scoring and you know narrative scoring and film scoring, TV and stuff like that. So it was great, and it was a it was a door that I'm very glad that you guys opened for me. Okay, cool, that's good to hear. And then what? So then when you say that you've like learned a lot since then. What do you sort of see having happened since then in, in terms of, yeah, and what you've learned, but then also just, I guess, I mean, audio production and your role in it since then, what, what do you kind of see? Everybody wears a lot of hats, but specifically with something as like lower down on, on the hierarchy as music is. And I just say that because uh, of, of the abundance of music that's available. Um, the people who do the 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 people who who sign up and stick their hand in there and go, I'm the musician, often end up doing other stuff. And this has been true for every production I've worked in. Um, mm. The nonfiction stuff, the fiction stuff, I've always been has kind of had a seat in the table, seat at the table for um, input on scripting and stuff. So it's kind of it almost feels like uh, being able to play a couple of chords on a piano or having access to some music software tools. That kind of enables you to have credibility in other departments because I assume that the team that you're working with looks at you and goes, okay, well, this person is obviously a creative person. We don't have to try and, you know, get them to prove that and then to judge their suggestions on on merit. So I guess the biggest realization has just been that the the dream, the, the naive dream is that you're just going to be doing music when in reality you're probably going to be asked to chime in on, on a lot of other stuff which is kind of as it should be um, if you're doing a project for the passion. If you're not doing it for the passion, then, yeah, you can write the music and, and that's uh, over and done with. Um, but I think so far, um, yeah, I would say most of the projects that I've worked on have just, yeah, been run on some kind of like natural desire to tell that story and to help that story be um, easy on the ear. So nothing, nothing that creates too much, you know, tension in the listener. 
and also uh, just yeah, of a high quality. So yeah, wear a lot of hats. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I think you also, I think you also like sell yourself short a bit on that because I reckon, I assume why you've been brought into those projects um, as a creative is because you're so good at all the other things as well. Like people are like, okay, this guy is ostensibly here for the music but we can also get him to help us with the script and help us with this and like all the stuff that you helped with in Alibi. So I assume it's like, if you weren't so good at all those things, then you probably wouldn't get asked, right, as well. Well, I guess it works then, you know, like if I were to come in guns blazing <laughs> and be like, I'm Mr. Know-it-all, then I wouldn't get those kinds of referrals. And, and yeah. thank you, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, I think at the end of the day, your reputation is is everything that you've got. So if you can not um, impose your will too much, but at the same time be very helpful and not be like uninterested and take three weeks to get back to someone. Uh, and be a con- if you contribute, then you get a good reputation. And so, yeah. yeah. I really do work very hard at this stuff. And I was doing some sums today. I'm like, okay, so about 80% of the work of my time that I spend working is either educational, so I'm studying, or just completely not paid because I'm learning something about how to do the job better next time and et cetera, et cetera. But the results, are, I mean, I still get these emails quite regularly saying, hey, I found you on so-and-so, can you do this? And now I'm getting to that point, which I've been working for for 15 years, which is uh, to be on the receiving end of interesting, you know, um, and preferably lucrative job opportunities, gigs, freelance opportunities, um, stuff that I can enjoy and still kind of keep the lights on with you know that's that's mm. the, the middle way <laughs> mm. yeah. but reputation is key definitely yeah 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 i mean i i want to get into the audio drama stuff a bit as well but like maybe we oh. can just talk about where podcasting was at in 2016 especially in south africa and I guess by extension, the music. I mean, Serial loomed large, right, at that point. Mm. Um, and I was working for a nonprofit that specialized in wrongful convictions. So it kind of seemed like, okay, right, this is an opportunity for us to do a possible wrongful conviction in a serial type format. Um, how much of that kind of baggage did you take into doing the music? So when you were doing the music, like how much of that, like, I mean, obviously you were aware of it, but how much of it were you kind of um, influenced by? How much were you trying to like subvert, like all that sort of stuff? It should be known that like I was, Serial blew my mind. I was one of those people who was like, have you heard of Serial? And most people are like, what's that? Yeah. It's a podcast. And they're like, what's that? <laughs> I, I actually experimented in, in 2016 at that time. I was inspired by podcasting. And I actually launched a podcast. I started a podcast in 2016, which was called Serious Advice for South African Musicians or something like that. And I recorded three episodes and uploaded them and learned how RSS worked and all that. So I was inspired at the time. And I think you and I had this chat to keep it pretty much on the format of uh, Serial. So you'll, the theme song, of course, is a sound alike. It's, you know, you don't have to be musical to hear the similarity between the Alibi theme song and the, and the um, Serial one. But from there, it started to diverge. And the main difference is the quantity of music. I was just so amped. I was so excited about writing music that I came up with a whole bunch of themes and they're actually still online 
Um, in fact, I made a sale of one of them today. So the themes wow, that I wrote cool. in 2016, um, I released as a uh, album sort of thing, kind of like a Creative Commons contribution called Heart of Podcast Themes, which has a, a bunch of typical generic moods. Uh, for example, betrayal, acceptance, accusation, uh, trauma, tension, release, all that kind of stuff. Stuff that people could use. So I was, I was just, I was just. I mean, you, you really, it's just like a, almost a chemical reaction happened. You just drop a little bit of nickel into the Bunsen burner, and suddenly, like, thing just like explodes, and and it's been going like that since then too. So it didn't take a lot, is what I'm saying, for me to really jump on board. And then, um, in terms of the actual musical contribution. Serial, as I mentioned, was quite sparse with their music, which suits the journalistic form, format quite well. But I wanted to give our one, uh, you know, the Alibi series, a bit more of a heartfelt kind of approach. So I wrote a lot more music for it. Um, early days, kind of learning how it worked and stuff. But um, cool. yeah, and since then, since then it's been, um, yeah, since then I've written a lot of music, and that I, re I always think of that as the starting point for. Uh, a career in scoring was alibi for sure okay that's cool uh, i just want to talk a little bit about your audio drama stuff because you sort of pitch yourself yes. now in in with many different hats i guess but also part of it is this as someone who does um, music composition for audio dramas which is kind of you know these sorts of journalistic podcasts owe a lot to the dramas um, but they're not, I mean, where do you see the differences? Where, where do you see the similarities and why have you kind of gravitated to that as something that you want to do? Yeah, this is such a great question. The, at the heart of it is the relationship between the news and entertainment. Um, so as a musician, mm. if somebody wants their show to sound more newsy, then use less music and a certain type. And if they want it to sound more like entertainment, then use, generally speaking, more music and also a certain type. So you can really sway the outcome. Um, I mean, the power, the power. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you, you really can make it sound like, for example, I, I mean, when I was really young, I saw this clip and it was an illustration of how music scoring works. And it was just a picture of a, a, like a 10 second clip of an alligator walking down a riverbank and sliding into the water. Just nature documentary. The first thing they did was they gave it the terrible, terrifying music and he has the scary monster. And then they gave it some kind of like cool jazz and that became like funny. And so the same clip could be interpreted according to the music. Um, right, yeah. So yeah, at the heart of it is like, I guess you need to know from the directors and producers, what are we doing here? Is this meant to make people go, this is so cool? Or is this meant to make people go, I feel smarter now? Or, um, mm. you know, who are you aiming for? And it really, most of the time, if I try and ask those questions to teams the answer um is is more vague than i would like it would be perfect if the brief was super specific like like it kind of mm. was with um with alibi it was very much like we're, we're making cereal and i could go with that uh so yeah there are playbooks in place and i guess that's what you end up ultimately in this age where everybody actually kind of knows how to make music or has at least the tools to put together something basic i mean you can you can write music in a web browser now you don't even need like an audio workstation or any software libraries or any midi keyboards or anything so in the age of saturation like this what you actually you know hire someone for is judgment and i'm seeing that more now like in the 
in the the the, the quote requests and the, you know the offers I get is um, it's people reaching out saying you know we, we need someone who knows how to do this um, not not just knows mm. how to copy but actually understands the whole process like what the end result should be you know I think the influence of fiction is becoming far more like powerful now on nonfiction um, for example. Um, everything is being sensationalized and dramatized, even the news. And music is a big part of that. Obviously, you worked on the second season as well. What was the difference in working on the second season compared to the first? The For me, it was a definite improvement in the overall quality of the music. So I kind of cut my teeth on the first season. And it was also the ice had been broken, so it was easier because we could revisit um, themes, musical themes, and the way it been paved you know it was like much uh <clears throat> much simpler process yeah maybe we should just finish with um a quick plug of your podcast which is fantastic by the way um mm. do you want to you want to talk about that yeah, a sure. bit like how i make music is very cool yeah and cool. and sort of evolved massively yeah. um yeah that's and, the idea. and grown in huge success just give uh what's the elevator <laughs> pitch on how i make music because sure, i do sure. like the elevator pitch on it yeah, it's very niche. Uh, so the name of the show is How I Make Music, but it's actually not about how I make music. It's about how all these other people make music. Elevator Pitch, it's, the, it's where the audio drama composers get to tell their own stories. So it is a, an interview series with various different composers mostly from the uk and europe and the states the piece of music you're currently listening to is called the fog clears and uh, they all take 20 minutes to tell stories and use their own musical compositions and the parts to uh, convey a very smooth listening experience. I call it psychedelic editing. No one's ever reached the top. That we know of. <laughs> Maybe they didn't want to come back down. In a silent host format. So while I do chat to them, I elicit their responses in a video chat, I actually edit my voice out entirely. So what the listener hears is the song exploder format, which is just the artist talking about their work with an underscore of original material which can be remixed. So it's a very colorful, very creative approach towards interview. The, sh the show is non-fiction, but all of the people who, all of the guests on the show who are actually the hosts, they're all makers or creators of fiction podcast. So it straddles the worlds quite nicely and there's no one else doing what I'm doing. Um, subject matter or format uh, is they're both completely unique and completely original. So I'm quite proud of it. I've done, um, in total, I've done 107 episodes. The first 58 have been archived because they were the foundation, the roots of the show. You can get them if you sign up as a Patreon, as a patron. Um, and then, yeah, I've got a Patreon page now, which is starting to grow. I'm getting you know, like $14 a month. And I'm aiming for 50, which covers the costs of the show. So I'm finding one by one people like they either don't know about it or they just have heard it a couple of times and then they love it. So it's really finding people who are passionate about it.
Mm. Um, so yeah, I'll give it a listen. It's good for even if you're not a musician, or I actually edit it deliberately so that people who aren't musical can enjoy the experience of listening to these like this kind of smooth interview format, very um, psychedelic editing. Yeah, give it a listen. Tell me what you think. Cool. That's cool. it. Thanks so much, John. All right. Good. Thank you for having me, Paul. Thank you to everyone for listening. This has been Producing Podcasts. I'm Paul McNally. If you'd like more info on what Alibi Investigations does, or if you'd like to sign up for our free training that will teach you how to create an investigative podcast of your own, then go to alibiinvestigations.com. That's it. See you next time. Goodbye.